Hello, Marvelites. You are listening to Marvel's pull list for new Marvel comics on sale July 27, 2022. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Jasmine Estrada. And i am still got the COVID. Oh, no. At least as we're recording this. Um, it sucks. To be honest Does with it? you. Yeah, it ain't fun. On a scale of one to 10, 10 uh, being the worst? Probably like a six, five, five, six right now. At one point, it was real bad. Like I could, I couldn't even move, but it's just lingering and staying. Uh, Co host of This Week in Marvel, Lorraine Sink, put it best where, and I don't think she's even had it, but the way she described it was it's like a, a fat, warm kitty sitting on your chest. And at times, it really does. Like you just, there's just like pressure. Um, and it's going to be different for everybody. My kiddo has it, and I mm. have it. It sucks, but we power on. Last weekend was Comic-Con, so lots of news and stuff. Make sure you go to Marvel.com, check out all that. Lots of comic stuff for us to be talking about in a couple months' time, which is very exciting. There's a lot going on. But we have much to talk about this week because this is the official Marvel podcast for Marvel Comics. We're going to talk about all the brand new issues out this week. We're going to give you our picks of the week, the ones that we just love so much. We want you to give us your hard-earned money for them. Please, please, and thank you. We're going to give out an award for all the other comics out this week. We're going to talk about what's hitting Marvel Unlimited, the books that are uh, coming in, filling out the, the backlist, those that have come out a couple months ago. And the vertical scrolling comics, the Infinity Comics, all those, plus collections on sale, plus we have our reading club this week. Jasmine, who are we talking to? We are talking to Murawa Ayudele and Dotan Akande about International Iron Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They are a very exciting duo, up-and-coming creators, and um, I think we're going to see and hear a lot from them really, really soon. Um, so with that all in mind, let's dive into our picks of the week. All right. So our first pick is Amazing Spider-Man number six, a.k.a. Amazing Spider-Man number 900. 900. 900. This is a giant issue in every single way. Man. It's a square wow. bound book. It's square bound. That's correct. So if, if you don't know what that means, square bound is like um, uh, the... Your regular comics, the floppies that we normally have are bound by staples. Square bound is where you um, like a, a collection or a most, you know, prose books on the side. You'll see the, the title and you can put it on a bookshelf and you can read what it is just by looking at the side of it. So the main story in this issue is 70 pages long, drawn by Ed friggin McGinnis. Uh, Hell Yeah friend of mine just amazing artist wonderful great dude and when you get ed to draw 70 pages of comics you better bring the thunder and of course the thunder is brought in this issue written by zeb wells inks on this on the main story by mark morales ed mcginnis wave von Graubadger, and cliff rathburn colors by marcio Meniz, dijo lima and eric arseniego with letters by vcs joe caramagna the main 70 pages is just and i say just but it's like in the best way possible, it is Spider-Man versus Sinister Six. In a like, yes, a new updated version. It, it has callbacks to a ton of stories. It calls back to the original Sinister Six uh, story in the Amazing Spider-Man Annual from back in the '60s. It's got a like a birthday party. It's got Doc Ock stuff. It's got like the best new breakout character of the year in, in the Amazing Spider-Man world. Doc Ock's arms. Oh. She's such a good girl. Uh, there's an amazing kick in this issue that Ed draws of Felicia Hardy, because she's not in her black cat outfit, but Felicia Hardy in this black dress kicking J. Jonah Jameson for good reason. And it is mm -hmm. wonderful. There, it's big action, big fun. It's just got the like that perfect vibe that I've been looking for for Spider-Man. Because, you know, a lot of Spidey over the last two years has been heavy and dark and like he's been mm -hmm. going through some stuff and he's still going through stuff in here. I'm not, I'm not saying that that's out of the window. They haven't just brushed past all that, but there's still that like element of fun and, and quippiness and a lot of the heart and humor that balances the drama and like the, the plight that Spidey's going through. It is damn near perfect for me. Like it, this is the Spidey story that I want. It's so good. And you say Spider-Man versus the, the Sinister Six, but really it's like Spider-Man versus the six in one. If 
it's so much fun and it's perfectly wacky and like spider-man in the perfect yeah. spider-man way yeah it it takes big love and big nods to stan lee and steve Ditko and john armita and, and just the entire history of spider-man and i love 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 it so you get 70 pages of that story but that's not it because on top of the main story um we get to bring back uh, a bunch of amazing creators to tell more Spider-Man stories in this issue. We've got three other stories in this. We've got uh, Better Late Than Never by Daniel Kibblesmith and David Lopez. This should be the issue. If you've never read a story drawn by David Lopez, go into Marvel Unlimited right now after you read this and, and check out all his stuff. It's so much fun. He brings so much heart and humor and uh, like big acting in the best possible way to all of his stuff. Oh, I love it. Love it so much. And there's a story. Mm -hmm called Spidey Meets Jimmy, written by Jeff Loveness and art by Todd Nock. Um, Jeff Loveness, also great, super funny and wonderful. He used to write for Jimmy Kimmel and um, he's written a bunch of comics for us, but this oh. is him getting to actually bring that real life experience into the pages of the comics. And then like a little cherry on top, Dan Slott and Marcos Martin coming in doing a, a, just a short <sighs> little story called Save the Date, which... The two of them. It's just so good. And like, I just, I cannot I wait for Dan Slot to come back but and write Spidey. It's, more if Spidey. you give me Dan and Marcos, it is, that's perfection. On top of all that, there's a great mm. sort of like behind the scenes conversation between Nick Lowe and all the Spidey creators who are involved in this. And an interview between Nick Lowe and Kevin Feige, all about Spider-Man. So this book is $10. I'll be honest with you. That's a lot. I understand that's a couple issues worth of comics right there, but it is four times the size of a regular comic, give or take. So it's well worth your money. Yeah. It's terrific. Really, really great. All right. Next up, we have my first pick of the week, which is Iron Cat number two. Um, it's written by Jed McKay with art by Perry Perez, colors by Frank D'Armada, and letters by BC's Ariana Mayer. The first issue was already fun, and I was already in. Um, I mean, it's Black Cat and Iron Man teaming up to go against this new Iron Cat figure who is from Felicia's past. The thing that I loved about it the most was that Jed not only brings the Felicia and Black Cat aspect of it all, but like really ties in Iron Man here in this issue, um, which I didn't see coming uh, at all. And it's wild to me because it picks up on a thread from Iron Man 2020, which was Dan yeah. Slott's yeah. run from almost two years ago which is crazy to me, but it literally picks up right where that left off. And it involves Iron Man a lot more than like we initially thought. The other thing I wanted to like talk about was that there's, there's a particular page in here that Perry Perez like fills half the page with this particular image. And it's all done in shadow or mostly done in shadow. And it's, it's a shock. It's a shock to Felicia as a character, but it's also a shock as a reader because you just don't see it coming. And that's part of it. It's not just like Perry Perez as much as it is Frank Armada's colors that just really bring out this this whole like scene, this feeling. And this book is magic. It just moves. It moves so well. It's exciting. It's fun. Yeah. What a what a team! Anything I, like anything Perry does, I'm in for. And then you you pair him with a Carla or a oh Jed, and boom, money. All right, our third pick of the week is Ant Man number one. This is written by Al Ewing, art by Tom Riley and Jordi Belair, lettering by VCs Corey Pettit. So I've been thinking about this a lot. Al has for the last couple of years been one of my favorite writers. I think everything he he does tends to be really cool. But what's really interesting about Al is he takes a lot of um, he looks at the the form of comics in a really interesting way. And he looks at different eras and he plays mm -hmm. with genres and he plays. He has a very cool way of doing it. It reminds me most, I think, of Grant Morrison and the way that Grant can take something from Ooh. the 50s or the 60s, which he's done really fabulously for um, mostly for our distinguished competition and made it feel relevant and modern and cool while still having those weird hokey sometimes elements or, or parts of the form that like you, you just embrace. And I think that's what Al does so well. And he adds a, a really yeah. cool twist to them. And so this issue, this, this whole story is a 60th anniversary sort of, you know, celebration of Ant-Man, but we're looking at past, present and future Ant-Men. And so you've got a, 
futuristic version of Ant-Man in here. You've got an old 60s style Hank Pym Ant-Man in here when he was still like early on in his career. And you, you sort of like finding little bits and pieces that bring in Eric O'Grady, the uh, irredeemable oh. Ant-Man. The minute I, yeah. I saw his name get brought up, I was like, oh, I'm I'm yeah. so. And then Scott Lang, how he gets brought into this. Um, it's yep. super fun. There's a lot of like 60s Stanley bombasticness about it and, and Larry Lieber um, vibes to it. But in in that very modern way where it's celebrating it but also tongue in cheek and playing with it in really fun ways, the, the dialogue, the action. And then you have Tom Riley who comes in here, who has the ability to do a really cool modern vibe to the futuristic stuff. Right. Uh, it, it, it reminds me a little bit of, um, uh, Pasquale Ferry at times. Um, and, and Tom, you know, taking some of that futuristic style and tones and shading and stuff that, that, uh, Jordy brings in. And then you have the old school stuff that, you know, reminds you of 60s comics and so much fun. You can almost hear like a really fun jazz soundtrack to this issue, you know, like mm -hmm. as they're going along, there's silliness. There's Ant-Man shrinking down in a movie theater to deal with a kid with popcorn and then fighting uh, a bunch of his different uh, foes who have like, you know, death rays and shrink rays and all this other stuff. And there's like. So funny. the stakes are low and high and it's fun and Wasp is in here and she has some great moments and oh my god there's one panel where Wasp she shrinks down and she confronts Scott Lang and it's such a like just like background moment like a blinking you miss it moment but like the way she like kisses his nose that one panel like is so perfect dive into it it is a blast also at the end of this there are uh, four issues that point to what you can read on Marvel Unlimited to see where Al pulled from to like for inspiration, mm -hmm. for characters, for things. Cause he really, Al just does this. He, he goes deep into his research and pulling in stuff to evoke what he wants out of his comics. And so you can read these on Marvel Unlimited. I love it so much. Oh, I love it so much. And I like, I'd be remiss to like not mention there, there's a variant cover that's, that's done by David Baldion and Israel Silva. And it is so gorgeous. It's like it perfectly matches and invokes like what's the feeling that's inside the book. And it's classic Marvel, like old school, like 1960s, like type of cover. And it's just like, I want it. I want it so bad. All right. That's it for our picks of the week this week. But before we move on to our fabulous fresh floppies, we need to talk awards. Yeah. What was last week's award again? It was the, oh no, am I having a team up award from defenders beyond number one another al ewing book. yeah um so good uh for everybody who checked out defenders beyond in part because we talked about it please thank you i scream it to the heavens i love that book so much al is on fire right now um so mitch krumputich won the award uh he got it over email although he was really close with uh some of our others but mitch um said uh, i wasn't certain if i'd pick this up this week but i saw the cover and thought i'd give it a try i'm so glad i did it's a great story so far heck yeah that is uh you don't have to just listen to us but you should listen to us and also listen to mitch um and then mountain meg at meg stocker said i love it i was really hoping the award quote oh no am i having a team up would be in defenders beyond number one it's beyond fantastic um, and uh, Meg also got the uh, Natasha Busto Stormbreakers cover, which is a rad variant. Oh, yeah, such a good cover. Um, really happy with all the books this week. And Meg also shared some photos of her amazing children saying, the kids and I had a blast together at the comic shop this afternoon. They're always so excited to have a Hulk-sized adventure. Um, and there's great shots of the uh, the comic shop they're at. They have the giant-sized Hulk. Awesome, awesome stuff. Uh, also got to give a shout out to Karis Pollard, a Karis Pollard, who huge pull list right now. My goodness. Lots of comics on her list. Um, didn't get it, but did share a great photo of Layla um, there with uh, the great protector from Marvel Studios, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. And then we also got uh, another response from Leanne Craig at Soulcatcher02, who was responding a little bit later in the day, but she still found it. Um, she shared her copy of defenders beyond number one so sweet thank you all thanks everybody who participates 
And just so you know, when we do these awards, if you find a quote that we give you, which we're going to give you this week's in a second, you can screen cap it. You can tweet it to at Agent M and at Jasmiest with hashtag Marvel's pull list or email us at pull list at Marvel.com. If you are among the first, uh, Ryan, which is me, may um, hit you back with a DM or an email with something fun. Yeah. Are you ready for this week's award name? Please and thank you. All right. This week's award name is the I Was a Beach Like a Month Ago Award. All right. Once again, if you find this quote, screen cap it and tweet it to at Agent M and at Jasmiest with hashtag Marvel's Pull List or email us at pulllist at marvel.com and, uh, you know, look out. All right. Ready? Here we go. First up, we have Captain America, Symbol of Truth, number three. And last issue, we got to see uh, a team up between Captain America, Sam Wilson and Deadpool um, as they go to Latveria. And this picks up right afterwards. Um, There's some mysterious things going on here, uh, which I don't know what what exactly is happening between Deadpool and Doctor Doom, but I'm kind of interested. I'm very intrigued. This issue does one of my favorite things. And this is what I'm going to give my I Was a Beach Like a Month Ago award to is that some of my favorite Captain America stories are when it draws the line in the sand between what Captain America stands for and how it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, this mascot for the government. And Sam Wilson fully embodies it in this issue as he makes some very interesting plays when it comes to what's going on in Wakanda. Indeed. All right, we've got, and I I didn't even realize I did this to myself. I'm going to be talking about Gambit number one. And look, I didn't hate it. I'm not a Gambit guy. (laughs) Uh, But of course, you put you you do the story. You got to have Chris Claremont doing it because this issue, this series takes place kind of in a really interesting place during the events uh, that were like kind of discussed and hinted at and really not touched upon much Mm -mm. other than in the pages of Uncanny X-Men number 267. So if you're going to check this out, just go on Marvel Unlimited. Read Uncanny X-Men 267 as well. You've got Storm when she was a little kid. Uh, Gambit first appeared. How they linked up. This fills in a whole bunch of uh, of that you know background. And I dig it because it's probably like 65% Storm and mm-hmm. 35% Gambit. So mm-hmm. that's a ratio. And like a young, a young Storm. Yeah, oh, yeah. Spunky Storm. Yeah. When she was de-aged, her powers were kind of funky. You've got um, some great stuff going on with the Shadow King. Uh, But I'm going to give my I Was a Beach Like a Month Ago award to artist Sid Cotian, who uh, just I love the way Sid draws this young storm. Her expressions, her mannerisms, her body language. I think it's just terrific. Also, there's a character named Jazz who happens to be a brunette. Mm. Um, She gets kicked in the face Mm. by Storm. I'm going to go ahead and use make that my hand cannon as my first appearance in the Marvel uh, universe. There you go. Next up, we have Genius Val, Captain Marvel, number one. And I'm going to give my I was a beach like a month ago to the Rick Jones of it all. As much of a Captain Marvel story as, as this book is, it's also a Rick Jones story because they share a lot of history together. And it was a pleasant surprise to see some of that come back. Also... There's a particular moment in here where we get to see another planet's uh, equivalent to a zoo, and they call it a zooseum. And I don't know why all zoos aren't called zooseums, because that is way better than just zoo. Yeah. All right, we've got two Star Wars issues out this week. We have Star Wars Dr. Afra number 22, and I'm going to give my I Was a Beach Like a Month Ago award to this small creature, this uh, one of the Ascendants who's tr- sort of like playing with technology that mimics the Sith and all kinds of stuff. There's this wild flashback battle, uh, but the character's name is Mural, and I just I love this character. It kind of looks like a, a bat, but she rules, and she tries real hard to do what she needs to do, and it's a nice little tragic flashback. Next up, we have Star Wars Obi-Wan number three, um, and if you've been following the series along, it takes place in the original trilogy, but it's all told while old man Ben is inside his cave and kind of retelling some of these old stories from his past while a sandstorm is brewing outside. And this particular story explores a time during the Clone Wars, which is one of my favorite times. If you're a fan of the animated series, like this very much is that same flavor. We get some General Grievous moments, um, but I'm going to get my I was a beach like a month ago to the sound effect puff p-o-f-f because there is one 
like panel in this book in the middle of like a, a it's it's like it's a technically it's a splash page it's a double page like spread there is a particular clone who gets shot in the head and it's completely covered up by the the word puff it just made me chuckle but like that's star wars for you like it's very clever and tongue-in-cheek and i i love this issue all right up next is strange number four could have picked this issue easily as one of our picks of the week it's so damn good more Jed McKay joyousness this week. Uh, big shout out to Marcelo Ferreira, who's the artist on this. All the body language and the acting that goes on in this issue is tremendous. I'm going to give my I Was a Beach Like a Month Ago award to the the sort of core setup to this. It's that uh, it's that Clea Strange, the Sorcerer Supreme of both Earth and the Dark Dimension, is having her mother over for dinner, a magical warlord, uh, Umar, who is not to be trifled with, who is, by all accounts, not been a good mom, but their relationship <laughs> is, I think, probably very relatable to a lot of people, and the way that their dialogue, the the pitter-patter, everything about it all together is spectacular. I really enjoyed that issue. Yeah. Another issue I really enjoyed was the variance number two. Could have easily been my pick mm. as well um, this week, but... I had to give it to Iron Cat. This whole book, like I, I keep trying to figure out what's going on. And every single time you get like an inch of more of story, something else just completely happens. It just almost like throws a wrecking ball in it where you're like, I, don't, I still don't know, you know, like how this all fits together, but I'm very, very interested in this mystery. And we get a little bit more of that. And we get a ton of different cameos from different heroes, including uh, She-Hulk, Daredevil, and Luke, as well as my queen, Tigra, who opens up the book, uh, who I'm going to give my I Was a Beach Like a Month Ago award to because I'm going to read this quote because I it just really, really struck a chord with me. But she says, it's Tigra and uh, Jessica Jones together at a diner. And Jessica Jones is like, aren't you afraid of like essentially being looked at? Like you're drawing a lot of attention to yourself because of her outfit on top of like, you know, looking like a, a werecat. And she says, they're going to look anyway. I can't change that. So I make them look because I said to look. And it's like, she's just owning who she is. And she's like, I'm going to make you look, but I'm going to make you look at what I want you to look at. Um, and I really, really dug that. Yeah. We've got Venom number nine out this week. And I'm going to give my I Was a Beach like a month ago award to just all the sort of timey-wimey elements around this issue because it, mm -hmm. it sort of gives us different perspective on things that have happened in previous issues so it answers a whole bunch of questions raises a whole bunch more but yes uh if you are reading this and you're like oh and you start to see this it might be a good time read issue nine and go back to a lot of pieces mm -hmm. in the first eight and you'll start to see some things become a lot clearer and see the the picture is getting kind of crazy i know a lot of the things that are coming up in this book and i'm just like yeah i see how they're they're setting everything up it's pretty neat I'm also going to take this week Wild Cards, the drawing of cards number one. Um, this is a real fascinating one. I've read a couple of the books from the Wild Card mm. series. They, um, from what I remember, they were anthologies. It's been a couple of years. They were either anthologies or they were a bunch of collections of short stories. So it's a, a world created by George R. R. Martin. And then he has some amazing other co-collaborators in here, including the writer of this comic, Paul Cornell, who is a great comic book writer and is right. And um, they tell stories about this world in which people gain powers and some people gain great powers and some people become sort of like monsters and there's all kind of nasty stuff. There's aliens. This is a, a great starting point into all that, giving mm -hmm. you a much smaller scale in some ways perspective on things because there's a lot to cover. Like the stories cover many characters and many pieces. Um, but in here, you get to meet a couple of the main players. You get to see sort of the, the hows and the whys of things. The time frame is set in because it's, you know, just after World War oh, II. Oh, I love this time frame. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which allows it. The aesthetic is great. The, exactly. It allows for some really great uh, world building and character design, costumes and all that stuff. But there's a lot of tragedy in here, a lot of big hero moments. Uh, this is the first issue of it. So I'm, I'm looking forward to watching it sort of unfold. And if you get curious about this and you're like, oh, this is neat. Go check out the novels as well. Next up, we have Wolverine patch number four. And Ryan, you you summed it up best for me right now where you were just like, there's a lot of violence in here. Yes, there's lots of violence in here. Um, but the thing that I want to give my I Was a Beach like a month ago award to is the color artist on this book, who is Sebastian Chang, because the way that like the vividness in this book, like 
things pop in this book. Like you're in the middle of a forest, you're in the middle of a jungle and like the greens, the, that like, and how they offset, like the, in contrast, the different types of movement that are going on just really, really, really help like bring you into this world. And like, it's wild. Highly recommend if you're a big Larry Hama Wolverine fan. So those are the new print issues. Of course, we have stuff in Marvel Unlimited this week. Over on the Infinity Comics for Marvel Unlimited, we're continuing some big stories like the X-Men Green story in X-Men Unlimited, Infinity Comic. Uh, we've got the Penny Parker Infinity Comic over in Spider-Verse Unlimited. Which is written and drawn by Ken Nomura, who I don't know if you've ever read I Kill Giants yeah. or Umami. Oh, so good. Yeah. Highly recommend this. Yeah. Uh, and plenty more. You can get the full list as well as what else is coming to MU. Some great books like uh, Shang-Chi number 11, Captain America number zero, which we're real high on, a new issue of Avengers number 55, Wolverine 20, um, which gets us back into getting some new Wolverine issues. So good. Woo! So good. Yes. And a, a, one thing that we both wanted to point out, um, especially in light of a recent reading club that we had, we're starting to fill in some, I mean, we're always filling in back issues on Marvel Unlimited, but some caught our eye this week. Yeah, we have a lot of Gen X issues hitting the, the MU platform, including issues 12 through 23, as well as a bunch of Power Man and Iron Fist from issues 108 till about 125. Which is good. I mean, I, I know folks constantly ask, when are you going to add this? When are you going to add that? It all just mm -hmm. takes time. There, there's a lot of work that goes into actually doing these and you can't just take a, a, a PDF, uh, unfortunately. So uh, when we get new backfills like this, it's a joyous time. And so we're very, very excited. Heck yeah. We're also very excited for a lot of the collections that are coming out this week, including two massive, amazing Spider-Man Omnibus Volumes 1 and 2 uh, Avengers by Jonathan Hickman, Col Complete Collection, Volume 5, which I think rounds out the uh, the full Jonathan Hickman Avengers run. We have two massive omnibuses for Daredevil by Bendis and Maleve. We have Daredevil Woman Without Fear, Hulk by Donny Cates, Volume 1, Smashternaut. And uh, we have the Iron Man, Volume 3, Thor by Donny Cates, Volume 4, and X-Men First Class, Mutant 101. Yeah. Great stuff everywhere you turn. And now it is time to turn to our reading club. Jasmine, remind us, what are we doing? Oh, you know, we're just going to talk to these two amazing collaborators, Murua Ayodele and Dotun Akande. Um, together they worked on that, remember that amazing uh, Moon Knight, Black, White, and Blood uh, story that featured Spider-Man? So good. We're going to be talking about International Iron Man, which happens to be one of their favorite stories. Um, they're huge Iron Man fans, uh, and you'll definitely hear their excitement in this conversation. Jasmine, this is a reading club I'm very excited about, both because of the subject matter and because of our guests. We have two new superstars rising up in the ranks of comic books and Marvel Comics in particular. Uh, we have Morua Ayodele. Say it right? Yeah. Yeah. Morua Ayodele and Dotan Akande. Hello, yeah. fellas. Hi. Awesome. I'm so pumped to have you guys on. Hi. Nice to meet you guys. Yeah, we're happy to be here, too. You guys are both calling in from Nigeria, correct? Yeah. You? I guess I'm, I'm curious, how did you go from working on like indie comics? Because you guys were working on in the indie scene over in, in Nigeria, right? How do we get to working on Moon Knight, Black, White, and Blood? Dotso and I tried to get in into comics here, over here in Nigeria. We wrote to uh, a couple of publishers here. But many of them weren't giving us positive responses. So we're like, okay, we'll start our own publishing company. Most of our comics are digital comics. So we started our own website and started pushing out content. Mm -hmm. And our first comic was a black, white, and red, oddly enough, comic that we put together. So we've been doing that for some time. And then... We're bad at marketing ourselves, so it's pretty bad. So we're like, okay, let's find other publishers. So if Nigerian publishers won't work with us, why don't we try American publishers? So we tried um, a couple of publishers. We finally got a yes from Action Lab Comics, and that was happening. Then later, we started feeling guilty because mm -hmm. our Nigerian audiences weren't able to read our comics. 
um comicsology is now available here and you can't also it's very mm. expensive to order physical books all the way from the us so we felt kind of guilty so we started to create a free comic on webtoons uh my grandfather was a god so uh we yeah we published like a couple of episodes so but we're so excited about it so we're sending it to everyone that we knew I think we sent it to the creator of Samurai Jack, Gendy Tatakovsky. So we now sent it to Tom Brevoort as well. And Tom Brevoort read just a couple of episodes and it was like, do you guys want to work with Marvel? And we're like, yeah. So it was like, you're going to sign a couple of NDAs <laughs> and stuff like that. So we're like super, super excited. That's so cool. Y'all recently did a story, as, as Jasmine, you mentioned, in uh, Moon Knight, Black, White and Blood, uh, which... I remember I was reading it and I was like, who the hell are these guys? Where did they come from? What is this story? Because it like it immediately captivated me. And I texted Jasmine. I texted yeah. you. I was like, did you read this story? Because it's fantastic. And we immediately were like, we got to get them on the show. We got to talk to them. I want to know their story. I want to read more of their stuff. And so I, I think, um, yeah, we got to find some copies of that book. Send them over to oh, you. And, and thanks. Both of them. Absolutely. I mean, you guys like knocked it out of the park too. Like, I think the thing that blew me away the most was I was telling Ryan, I was like, you guys were sandwiched between two big creative teams, like some well-established names. And and like for you both to just like knock it out of the park. And like, honestly, like I think that was my favorite out of the three. And I'm like, you guys, like it blew my mind that you guys came in swinging big. Thank you so much. When we asked you guys what you wanted to cover on the show, the book that you brought us was international iron man i'm curious why you chose it and if it had anything to do with like it being one of the first books uh that you were exposed to personally i find that book different because i, I love it because it's it's a different kind of superhero book it's very grounded yet it has that grandeur to it still you know and the the artist alex maliv was like just the fantastic person to be on that book because of, you know, his gritty, grounded style and everything. It was very realistic. And we we got to see Tony Stark a lot, you know, rather than the Iron Man, him in the suit, mostly. And the old flashbacks and the origin story kind of feel to it was very interesting and new, right? And uh, it kind of humanizes the character a lot for me. I mean, Iron Man is like a real human being to me. So um, Tony Stark, <laughs> like a real human being to me. But that story kind of took it to a, a, a newer depth. That was very impressive, you know. The flashbacks, usually for me personally, uh, I'm not a fan of too many flashbacks, but this was perfect. I don't know how it worked. Maybe because I'm a Bendis fan. <laughs> I don't know. It was just perfect. And the story was just real i didn't feel like i was reading a book you know when i get to the end each time i was like oh oh okay i'm reading a book nice so i was really engrossed in it and it was grounded and beautiful really it stays with me well we've mentioned some of the creators let's make sure we note that uh, this is a seven issue series from 2016 written by brian michael bendis art by alex malev colors by paul mounts letters by vcs clayton cowles as you mentioned, Doton, it's it's an interesting and a weird book because it's very of the time and what we were doing with Iron Man. It was um, Iron Man had found out that he was adopted and it goes in through some things and it's it really follows a lot of plot points. And there's there's a lot going on around Iron Man, but it's very singularly focused in Iron Man in Tony's mission to figure out who his biological father was in particular although you know it's a weird one this is a lot about dad stuff in here in this this story major line. dad issues major <laughs> dad issues going on throughout this book which is fun i i will say before we get into this as a father of uh, uh, my child was adopted my daughter she was adopted so i i am very sort of hyper about stories about adoption and 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 kids and families and stuff like that and and of course Writer Brian Michael Bendis, his beautiful family is is uh, some biological, some adopted, and so he knows this ground as well. Um, 
I did take some issue with some of the language used in this, just because it's a thing that we think about a lot as uh, these these types of families. A real father, I brushed up against it and it made me very uncomfortable every time I heard about it because there's no such thing as a real father. Like Howard was his real father. It just is. You're, yeah. I, I'm, I'm glad I'm not the only one, but I'm like hyper. I'm like, um, because I'm her dad. That's that's the yeah, end of like it. She, you know, like she may also have a biological father and a biological mother, birth father, birth mother, whatever we call them. But like, I'm her dad, but still it's a damn good comic. Can't yeah. help it. Still yeah, very good. good comic. It's it's so good. Like I this one, like you were saying, Ryan, it came out of like a weird specific, like of a time where we were just coming off of what Kieran's run and what Matt Fraction had done with Iron Man. And, it, and this was pretty much soft launching Bendis's uh Iron Man run. Um, because the rest of the story continues after this in his his run but i remember reading this and it was something that very much like i had been reading a lot of the kieran stuff a lot of the fraction stuff and this one kind of almost like reset everything for me so like i I got really excited when uh murwa like i think it was you who, who who suggested covering it because immediately i was like i haven't read this since it first came out like i remember getting the single issues for this and i was like i need i can't wait um, and rereading it is just like, oh, yeah, that's right. Like it deconstructs who this character is. And it's just at, the, at its core, not only does it explore his past, but like you still get Tony Stark. Like, you still get this playboy like ask type yeah. character throughout the book. There are lines in this and we'll get into the issues individually in a bit. But there are lines where like it's such a Tony line, like he's yeah. flirting, like and he just says some like dumb little quip. And I'm just like, ah, OK, yeah, like it's still like you get that that human element. Merwa, what is it about this book that made you pick it? Um, from the technical point of view, um, as a writer myself, I particularly like the story because of the dialogue. The dialogue is one of a kind and unmatched by many comic books. And it's just so freaking emotional. Even the way the scene transitions to different scenes. I'm a sucker for romance stories. So oh, same. the story between Tony and Cassandra felt very familiar because I've fallen in love with my fair share of people that are bad for me. So I could relate to that very closely and I could understand every bit that Tony was going through with that relationship, the manipulations and everything else. Even though at some point it wasn't real to her, it was always real to him throughout the entire story. So, And the relationship between him and his dad felt very familiar as well. I'm a son of a pastor and Nigeria is a pretty religious place. So so you kind of are very popular if your father is like a minister. So in school, in church, anywhere you go. So what you're saying is you had a lot of honey pots <laughs> coming your way. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. And and the the pressure itself on how you have to behave and I have to behave yourself and everything just because of who your dad is, not necessarily because of who you are and stuff like that. So I could I could relate to that a lot. And then who doesn't like seeing suits, fire thrusters and uh, repulsor beams and everything. So it had the action that I liked too as well. But I could relate to it on a very, very personal level. It felt like Bendis was writing about me. Well, we'll dive into it because it, it opens with Iron Man kind of incapacitated, surrounded by mandroids. One of the things I noticed in this reading that I didn't really clock when I first read it, I've only read it the one time previously, was how many wide two-page, um, yeah. I wouldn't call them full like spreads, you know, because it, it's multiple images, but like they're utilizing both pages to tell a little bit more widescreen storytelling through different panels and stuff then I, I remember they do it a lot. And so they do so much, it gave it a different vibe. It definitely felt more cinematic in a lot yeah. of ways than I, I was just about to say that had remembered. And I think to Dostin's point of, of the, the style and everything, Alex, Alex is very, it's such a realistic style. So we start the, the book off in issue one and we do get this 20 something Tony Stark. And like Merwa was saying, it's very much like a love story. Like I, gushed over this first issue because it's very much a spy versus spy like romance very mr and mrs smith we learned about these two different families 
um, the Starks and the Gillespie family, and they're essentially rivals. Um, both families have companies that sell uh, weapons. Weapons, and yeah, and it's very much like a like a Romeo and Juliet type story where they're not allowed to be together because their parents hate each other. But it seems like there's a little bit more here because while Tony and Cassandra go to dinner together, uh, and eventually with their parents, they get attacked by Hydra, which is very suspicious because. Somehow Hydra knew where they were going to be at and that Tony Stark would also be there. It starts to like unravel some of this mystery. Okay, what's going on here? Like, how do they know each other? Like, are they related to Hydra? Was it a trap that was set up? So there's a lot of questions that are posed right off the bat in this first issue. But I think this is the first time that I reread it as a complete thing. And I devoured it. Like, I think I finished it in like an hour. His dialogue makes me appreciate the letter when I make comics, I letter first so that I can keep enough space for the artwork and direct the flow of reading and all that. So I have a soft spot for letters. Then Bendis helps me too to appreciate them because Bendis writes a lot. Yeah. And you get to read a lot and you take your time and you get to, you know, enjoy the character development and everything. I think VC is um, Clayton. Mm-hmm. He's the, yeah. the letter on this book. Yeah. So he made some really brilliant choices. Where, Agreed. Yeah. Where, where the dialogue was a lot in a small panel. I was like, okay, I would have done that differently. But his choice was way better. Yeah. The lettering just pops out in this book, especially in the second issue. There's this one page that like where all it is, is uh, Cassandra's mom is pouring two glasses of some type of drink and like, the way that the lettering is done is like it goes against like the exactly. normal way that you would read a comic exactly. book. I know that page. <laughs> but the way that it's that it flows just makes it, it much more dynamic. Like this could have like you were saying, this could have been completely lettered in a different way. Where yeah. we get those two front panels where he where she's pouring the drinks and then we get everything else in that last in that third panel. But the way it's constructed makes it feel much more like as though you're reading um, um, manga. Yeah, like you're reading but, manga or you're reading like a screenplay almost where it's like, as she's saying this, she's pouring the second class. Um, one thing I also like about that scene is um, if, you, if you're familiar with Iron Man stories like the history and everything, you would appreciate it more. In, in that scene, he didn't particularly appreciate a glass of alcohol, like a glass of the drink. It was yeah. more like he took it reluctantly. And as the series went by, he consumed more and he was open to taking more. And mm-hmm. that was before he, the story, basically, the flashback is set before the old demon in a bottle saga. So you could kind of feel like mm-hmm. uh, Bendis was kind of working uh, uh, with Tony Stark's dependency on alcohol bef- before that time. It was like putting it a little, you, you wouldn't notice it a lot, but you notice like bit by bit, it was taking more alcohol as the story was moving forward. Especially when his dad died, that's when he kind of like succumbed to yeah, the whole thing. Yeah. It wasn't like small glasses anymore. It was just, I think it was straight from the bottle, things like that. So just little, little bit things, little, little things in the flashback that kind of builds the overall Iron Man mythos. Yeah, this is what we've talked about on other shows recently, Jasmine. It's reminding me of these great stories that can fit into the past of our characters that we weave in great creators can weave in stuff that adds new dimensions and new layers. I mean, this adds a whole new character and and part of Tony's world, multiple characters within Tony's history. It doesn't negate things. It just adds to them. And it, you know, feels like a, a, a great layer to the history. One last thing I wanted to mention about the, the, the lettering, I think also part of it is probably is, is Alex, yes, right? Definitely. Because Alex knows I I haven't looked. I, I could probably see somewhere if Alex does um thumbnails, he might th- there are certain artists that thumbnail their issues with the the balloons in place and sort of think about where they want the dialogue to flow, the captions, what have you. And looking at these pages, uh, you know, I, I think it's just beautiful storytelling in a team that works together very very well to know how to do this incredibly 
efficiently and intelligently. As we close out this issue, we we go from the past, like in the flashbacks, more to the present to figure out what's going on. Now that we know who this Cassandra character is, who's controlling the mandroids, we get to see Tony Stark in the Iron Man suit and like her kind of communicating and being like, oh, like, it's you again. And they're kind of like, all those flashbacks are kind of coming into play. But we realize that she is essentially a bad guy. She pretty much has these mandroids ready to fire and like take out Tony. The other thing too that I like about this story is that it it knows when to bring in the suit. The entire time that we get the armor, it's either very much on its last legs in terms of power or like he's very much like on low power. The minute he he has the ability to like just let out like a I'm assuming it's like a some type of EMP yeah. type blast, he does it and it doesn't like he's just like I need to get out of here. But the entire time he's talking to Friday and Friday is like, look, like we don't have enough yeah. fuel to do this or energy to do this or that. And like, so it really grounds like the character literally, which I find fascinating because like there's even parts in this in the story, too, where he talks about like the Avengers coming in and it's yeah. like they never really show up. But like y- you start to like be like, oh, yeah, no, you're on your own. Like he he like Bendis and Malieve like both kind of paint this character in a corner and really make him like deal with what's going on in this part of the world and and imagine reading that for the first time where the setting is already grounded you feel like okay maybe something really bad could happen here you know of course you know iron man is not going to die but you know i mean he's done it before exactly so (laughs) you really can't tell too true jasmine you mentioned that page where you know iron man bursts out with some energy I want to shout out the Paul Mounts, the coloring choice there for the energy to be this bright blue. You know, a lot of the story beforehand, the flashback, it's very muted Mm -hmm. color palettes. There's a lot of oranges and and darker colors. And even in the current time, Iron Man is the most sort of like the, the biggest color pop here. And then you get to this shot and it's just the energy just jumps off the page. It looks beautiful. So, yeah, even though this suit is like, uh, it has little power and stuff like that. Like it's super grounded. It's not at its most optimal level, but at the same time, it uses the suits in very, very creative and interesting ways. Like he has never used it before. Future episodes, like other episodes in the series, where he's talking to Cassandra, but he has the suit on and things like that. And the way he uses the suit to track, to use as EMP, different things. He's using the suit in very, very interesting and unique ways that you wouldn't see coming or it's not particularly known that Iron Man does things this way and things like that. So that was also a very nice touch. He, he was making the suit grounded and yet overpowered. Almost like it was so the suit balance, mm-hmm. basically. That leads us directly into issue number three, where we finish that fight with the, the mandroids. So Iron Man's still fighting the mandroids and he decides to like essentially just give them the suit. He's just like, here you guys go, because essentially that's what Cassandra asked them to do, is to get the suit off of him, bring it to her. And so he essentially gives them the suit, and they kind of just are like, okay, cool, that's that was easy. And they they take off with it. But like you know damn well that he's got like a tracer on it, and like that's what he's going to use the suit for, to kind of f- figure out where she's located. But we don't get that right away. We go back to the flashbacks, and we start to see a little bit more about their relationship and how it plays out. We get more of that Romeo and Juliet stuff where we have Tony Stark kind of, like, ignoring his dad. I mean, there's, like, that scene, too, where he's, like, drinking out in the backyard, like, all mopey. Like, I just want to see my girlfriend. Like, how dare you, dad? (laughs) Ah. And he's like, look, you fell for a honeypot. Like, it happens to the best of us. And he's like, no, you don't get it, dad. Like, it's not a honeypot. And even if she is, who cares? He uses that invisibility shield to kind of like go behind enemy lines and, and see her again. Yeah, in the bathroom. That bathroom scene was very steamy for some reason. A brilliant um, foreshadowing there. Yeah, like it was, absolutely. Because I was going to use that technology in his suit later on. And even before that scene where I think, if I remember correctly, where he needed to find Cassandra in the copter, he said locate her I was talking to friday locate her and yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And friday's friday says something like um if we have the cloaking we're device, not the only ones that have a cloaking should... device yeah 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 and he mm. said i created that right mm-hmm. so that was like a foreshadowing moment so that was foreshadowing what he would say in the flashback 
Yeah, in present time, he was talking about how we invented the technology. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, in the past, when I see where he invented it, he invented it to be able to see his girl, basically. Yeah. I didn't even catch that. That's awesome. Yeah, everything's so interwoven in this story. It's, it's really, really good. It's not just in the scene transitions and everything, the stories, the beats and everything. It's interwoven as a whole and also interwoven into Iron Man history itself. As we get into issue four, this issue really is the one that's just like, yeah, Tony Stark, smarter than everybody, but sometimes he pulls his ego back and doesn't have to flex. And there's the moments where he's talking to Cassandra and he's just like, you know, he's, he's already figured this all out and he's just trying to like have a conversation. There's a lot of humanity that comes to the forefront in this issue that supersedes his ego that supersedes, you know, his, him being a superhero. So like the playboy billionaire philanthropist, like all that, like the big thing that we think about when Tony Stark, I think is great. But it really what when it shines here is Tony just being a man trying to work through all the things that are going on in his life, finding his his birth parents, figuring out what's going on, like with in the past with the, the his family in here, working through these feelings that he's had for 20 years. Um, I think that's one of, you know, we're all I think all four of us here are big fans of Brian Michael Bendis's work when he gets to flex those emotional human muscles, which he does all, all the time, it really sings. And I think that's, this is one of the strongest issues of the, of the arc. This is the issue where he says to Cassandra that you ruined me for other women. <laughs> <laughs> I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. It might be. So yeah, it really goes in deep into Tony's psyche for this particular series. And that's when we start to get into the funeral of uh, Howard Stark and like, the thing I like about these two issues uh, back to back is that we, when we kind of get some of the story of like how the situation where Tony's dad helps him escape and like protects him from that Hydra attack. And like, we see it in Tony's like point of view in that, in that in issue number four. And then when we get to issue number five and we start to like see them kind of, we see Tony talking to Nick Fury about how his dad is like a jerk and he talks about that scene or that moment and how like he read it as like his dad trying to get him to, to get away from all of that. I think deep down, I think Tony is smart enough to know his dad was trying to save him. But when you lose someone, it's hurts less if you think that person, if you think that person has a jerk, if you think the person that died is, uh, is, a, is the bad person, it makes the pain easier to bear. So I think that's that's part of it. Because even when Fury, yeah, was telling him he still was in denial. And I think that's that speaks to him that he actually does love his dad. He actually does miss his dad. It hurts a little less if he thinks of him as a villain of some sort. Uh, this issue also has the big moments. I love the big action that happens throughout this. There's the explosion of Cassandra's base and the chase and, and all those other moments. But it's when Tony lands with his the suit that that friday is piloting as well and land in in the orphanage in bulgaria and kids come running and the conversations that go on about the uh the woman who runs the orphanage like all of those pieces to me are the most i don't know hard hitting and crucial there's bits of humor in there there's great tony starkisms when he like He's just so thankful. He's like, you will have nothing. You know, like, he's like, wants to give them the world. You have money and food and everything. It's, it's great. It's sweet. And there's it's a lovely. kid. There's a kid that reminds me of me. Yeah. Which one? <laughs> yeah, one of the Bulgarian kids. This is yeah. Yeah. His favorite. yeah. 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 Like, he's like, do you know what swamp yeah, butt is? Guy. He's like Spider-Man <laughs> practically and then invented he calls, it. <laughs> that was pretty fancy. And then he calls the kid to to his side and says, um, "Spider-Man is stinky." But then, then he's like, like "But what? look, I'm also cool here. Like, I'll let you Why wear my helmet." And he puts on the helmet, and the yeah. and the the, uh, the orphanage director is like, "Is is that safe?" So and he's just like, "Yeah, sure. Come no, on. Why not? Sure." And I think that was it playing around with the dad theme too, because it was just at least like a dad figure to those kids just for a little while. Oh, for sure. In issue six, uh, throughout the whole series, I think is. Uh, if you step back and you look at it from a character design perspective mm, on yeah, the art yeah. side of things, I love what Alex does here because he has, he has different 
time periods to work with. He has different background, you know, like economic, social backgrounds to work with, loca- geolocation backgrounds, a lot of things. And you have to think about fashion, what people look like and design these, um, especially as you're, you know, coming into doing more Marvel work, how yeah. excited are you to be able to, to put your stamp and think about, you know, the way characters look? Are you an artist who thinks about fashion and the outfits that characters will have in different places? Um, how much are you, you're looking forward to that? Oh yeah. Um, I think I spend a little too much time even on that because I, I like the American culture and many times I see on Pinterest, the hairdos of men, how it changes from, you know, one era to the next. I'm like, wow. Okay. This was in fashion then. Interesting. I can't wait to put this in a story, you know. So yeah, speaking about that, I, I I had a note about that. I mean, a book called International Iron Man. Alex Maliv really killed it by showing us a lot of the environments, you know, from going from one place to another, one country to another. And it wasn't like in one small panel or anything. It was right there on big panels. We could see what was going on, even though he had a lot of dark inks, right? You could feel the environment. And like you said, the fashion and his mom's hairdo or hairstyle, you could feel like, okay, this is this is old. That <laughs> was changing. That was changing through time. Yeah, that was changing. Exactly. Even Tony himself as a, as a young man. Like, oh, yeah, true. This, I feel like, I feel like I've been taken back, you know, even though I didn't live in America or anything, but I feel like I'm watching one of those old movies that we see in black and white or something. Yeah. It definitely so, feels I'm, like that. Like, yeah. Cause like she's in London um, at the end of issue five. And then like the whole issue takes place in London. I think for the most part uh, issue six does, um, but it does feel like you're in the past. As we move into issue seven, the final issue of the, this run, it opens in outside uh of the Stark mansion where Maria Stark is sitting on a bench alone, sad, crying. Howard is, is there and is one bit of dialogue in the entire two pages. And it is Howard standing over her saying, Maria will try again. That felt so hit so close to home as someone who's gone through these things, has had these moments, these conversations, this spread feels so real and I think it's evoked so well because of the color choices. It is set in winter. It is yeah. drab. There's these blue hues. It's it's cold. It is there's just a tone to it that is so perfectly executed and is mirrored, uh, or it is balanced so well by later in the issue when you get two pages when Howard comes home with little baby Tony. Yeah, and I love it's that box. set in the same place. I love it. It's Maria sitting on the same bench. It's the same general place, yeah. but the color has changed. Spring. The, the spring, the vibe has changed. That feeling of our family has changed. And yeah. there's such joy there without them having to say, oh, I'm so happy. Yeah. Like there, you can feel it coming from what is, what is presented. It's, it's beautiful. And the, um, should I say match cuts, like the same movies? In the next page after that, the baby Tony and then adult Tony, the blue-eyed baby Tony and blue-eyed adult Tony. So nice, so cute, and then the emotion changes immediately again. It really does. It balances like these big, like heavy emotional moments. One of the things we look for forward to in a lot of stories, and we find comics like that. We tell each other about it. It's something we call like holistic stories. We want stories that um. They will scare you. They will disgust you at some point. They are funny. They are tragic. They are everything. And that's one of the reasons why we like International Iron Man is because you feel the entire spectrum of emotions. I think that those are all perfect places to sort of wrap up about International Iron Man and uh, luckily tell our listeners to keep their ears, eyes, noses, and mouths open to get ready for uh, your future work here at Marvel. and. more to come, I hope. And thank you all so much for joining us on the show. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah, before we let you guys go, where can people find more about you? Instagram and Twitter. Ayodele Murewa at Ayodele Murewa on Twitter and Instagram. Awesome. Thanks so much, guys. This was so much fun. I'm glad we were able to make it work.
Same here. Yeah, thank you too. Big thanks once again to Mirawa and Dotun. Uh, we know we're going to be talking about them again yeah. in the future, and we're very excited about it. Uh, big careers ahead for those gentlemen. And uh, it was really fun, once again, to revisit International Iron Man. It's one of my favorite Iron Man stories, and I'm glad we got to talk about it with two people who are just as excited about it as I am. Yeah. All right, that wraps it up for us. This episode of Marvel's Polis was produced by Ryan Panagos, Jasmine Estrada, and Cara McGurk-Allison. Jill Duboff is our director of audio. Brad Barton is Marvel's Polis Senior Manager of Audio Production and Development. And you know what, Brad? Title's too damn long for when I have COVID. It's just too much. <laughs> cut it cut it down, B. Um, and to put perspective on that, he had to take at least three breaths when saying that whole thing. We just edited it out to make it sound seamless. Yeah, take care of yourself, Ryan. I'm going to try. I'm Ryan. I'm Jasmine. And this is Marvel. Your universe. Go take a nap. <laughs>